Holy Moses, what's that? It's Toby Haydock's Who's Round. We're in it. We've just had a tapas lunch, and I'm about to interview one of Doctor Who's very own monsters. So I'm going to ask him to introduce himself and tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Well, my name is Ricky Newby, and I guess you all know your names. And uh, I have played various uh, monsters on Doctor Who. I've played a Dalek, I've played a Gel Guard, and Matt the Muton. So you started with Day of the Daleks. As, that is as, correct. As, yes. as a Dalek opposite John Pertwee. So how did you come to be involved in the world of Doctor Who? Well, I remember the agent ringing up and asked me, would I be able to work in a small, cramped space? She didn't say what it was. And uh, I said, yes, I think so. And then she said, well, would you like to be a Dalek? I said, oh, OK. I hadn't really watched Doctor Who, so it was all new to me. And that's how I came to be on board. And you took your camera with you, so you just showed me some brilliant photos. So uh, do you like recording the stuff that you've done? Yes, I, I, I took slides, actually. And uh, at the time, nobody bothered about it. You were allowed to do it. Maybe today you might not be able to. I think it would be top secret today. It could be. Certainly James Bond you wouldn't be allowed to. No. <laughs> I guess getting close up and personal with one of the greatest conquerors of the universe is not quite as impressive as it as, it, as, as we might think from seeing them on the telly. No, I mean, the, with Daleks you were limited to what you could do with them because you couldn't go on grass or anything like that. Yeah? Yeah. And... Uh, so when there was grass, you had to have boards laid down, uh, wood, and then you rode along there with your feet, twaddling it along. No, it was fun. I enjoyed work, doing it at the time. I, I didn't realise it would become a cult thing. No, so at the time it was just another job. It was a job, yeah. Hmm. But you, uh, but you, you came back pretty quickly and always inside it. So you did, a, you did, the, you did the mutants. Yes, you were one of those. Yes, I can't remember much about Matt the mutants. Uh, <laughs> uh, the it was all made of rubber, and in fact, I'd been to the dentist today, and I actually showed her the, some pictures, and this one she wanted a picture of, so she took a picture of me as a mutant. Brilliant. Your dental hygienist did. Yes. <laughs> did she say what she was going to do with it? No. <laughs> no. Torment people, I would think. <laughs> and then you're, 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 then you're in the Three Doctors, the tenth anniversary story, as a gel guard. As a gel guard, yes. Now, the gel guards, though, they've never come back, unfortunately. No. Which is a pity. And they never kept one. No. The BBC didn't. When In Flangotham, when they had a BBC... When they had a Doctor Who uh, museum, there was never a gel guard there. There was always Daleks and other things, but not a gel guard. Well, I think they're made of antimatter, you see, so they can't be contained in this universe. It could be that, <laughs> yeah. So they're funny-looking funny, funny looking creatures. How uncomfortable were they? Uh, I, uh, they were hot, I can remember that. And you could only do do them for a while because then you'd have to take the head off to get some air 
but they were made of bubble, uh, bubbles and that bubbly stuff. Mm. And um, what you, did, you, did you get to mix much with the stars? Did you meet John Pertwee? Oh, yes, you did. There was no stars in you. You were together. I often had chats with him and also the girl. And I've just forgotten her name. Katie Manning. Katie, and I haven't seen her since then, which is a great pity. Oh, she she's was lovely. In... She's on good form. Yes, Katie. I know she is. I've seen, heard about her. And uh, I had some good pictures taken of her. On one of those tri bikes and that. Oh yes, the tri bikes on the on the three yeah, doctors. We, yeah. So is that one the one you remember the best, being the Daleks? You think? Well, I remember the gel cars and the Dalek ones more. Yeah. I don't remember too much about the mutons. And um, and so, what was it like? What was your relationship like as as a sort of as a as an actor working at the BBC? I mean, how you seem to be working fairly steadily. Well. I always did summer seasons, uh, so I would go away for the summer as a comic or as a compare or as an entertainer in a holiday camp. I was at Summerland in 1972 in the Isle of Man, that was a place that got burnt down. In fact, I did three summer seasons in the Isle of Man, thoroughly enjoyed it there. Uh, uh, with the acting world, then you had to come back after the season and start again. Uh, I did a lot with the goodies in that time. I started with them and doubled for Bill in the first series. And then after that, they just used me as myself when they could. And uh, I remember one I did, which was in 1977. We filmed it down in South Wales. And I was a... uh, reporter trying to speak to the Archbishop of Canterbury who was on a horse jumping over things and I had to jump over them myself and I remember I did seven takes but after it Graham said fantastic really good so they gave me a good credit for that. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes you're so when you're in the, when you're a Dalek, you're credited, but when you're a mutant and a gel guard, you're not. So that's correct. That was just a lottery, was it? I guess so. Mm-hmm. Mm. The funny thing was, uh, in that one down at uh, South Wales, I also played the Queen in plaster, because what happened was the goodies took over Buckingham Palace in one of the episodes. Ah, okay. And so because I was small, I took the part of the Queen, but you couldn't see me because I was covered in plaster, as was uh, the others. Mm. Not a bad role to have on your CV, though, the Queen. You well, played the Queen. I never thought of that. I never <laughs> put it on, actually. A Dalek and the Queen. That's, I can remember <laughs> falling off a coach, I think. I, I had to fall off a coach. So, are you, are you adept at tumbling and things like that? I could, I could tumble downstairs then with no problem. I remember in 1979, I spoke to some director and said, look, I can tumble down the stairs. I, I didn't remember it until one of the actors told me some years later and I tumbled down the stairs. I didn't hurt myself. I just worked it out myself. Brilliant. Tucked my head into my body and that and fell. I'm not sure if I could do it now. See, I mean, you've turned your... Well, established this during the course of our conversation, but you can turn your hand to so many different things. So, so give me a picture of how you started out, Ricky, and how you uh, uh, embarked upon this very eclectic showbiz career that you've had. Oh, well, originally I worked on the railway, and in the evenings I did amateur dramatics, and I was in a concert party back in Lowestoft, Suffolk. 
and that's where I started and then I left the railway and then started doing holiday camps, entertaining. And I remember going to see a uh, entrepreneur uh, saying I'd like to do pantomime. He said, well, you've got to get an act. So I got an act in 1965 and eventually I got booked at the end of the pier in Herne Bay and started there and we had to do four shows. So you had the first show and while the first show was on, during the day you rehearsed for the second and so on to the third and fourth. By the time you came back to the first one, you'd forgotten it, so you had to rehearse it again. Yeah, but it was a good learning because you did singing, you did dancing, you did the comedy sketches and you had your own little act. So it was a great experience and that's how I started. And did you, did you work with some of the great comedians that we might know? Uh, yes, I, I have worked with Malcolm and Wise in one of their Christmas shows. I worked for Bob Monkhouse, Marty Feldman, that was my first one. Uh, Ronnie Corbett, I've doubled for him as well. And I've doubled for Ernie Wise. I've doubled for uh, Dudley Moore in a film. And then I also played in a film with him, Santa Claus, a movie. Oh, yes. And, uh, hmm. So your size has come in handy, actually. Yes. Yeah, it does, yeah. You're limited with your size. The same with a tall chap. Yeah. <laughs> but there's always work somewhere. Yes. I wish I could get it now, though, <laughs> but I can't. I, th I don't think we'd be allowed to tumble you down the stairs now, though. I mm. think that would not be... Up well, I don't know. I'm a bit, a bit plump in the stomach, so that might help. I'll cushion you. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, have, do you have fond memories of those those comics? Because obviously it's uh, comedy is not, as we know, is not as, as easy as it looks. But did you have largely good times on those shows? Yes, I think so. I particularly like working with the goodies. Uh, sometimes they would say, well, we've had to cut you out a bit because you were too prominent because they wanted me in all the six episodes of each series and that, so that's why they did, they cut you out. Ah, so if you were too noticeable, they didn't want the viewers at home going, oh, it's him again. That's right, yeah, because uh, I, you would play different characters. In 79, I can remember driving a hearse around Weymouth. <laughs> I don't think there was a body in it, though, <laughs> but that was quite fun. I remember doing that. Mm. And, I mean, it's interesting, because as somebody that's done so, many, so much live performance, Doing television and stuff on location, you don't have that, that same sort of feedback. So do you prefer doing your stuff in front of a live audience? Uh, well, that's two different things. I mean, as regards acting, I've got used to doing uh, camera work and uh, I, I quite enjoy going in front of the camera. Regarding being a comic and that, that's better with a live audience and that. You know, but I haven't done that for many years. Mm. No, so tell me about your, your comedy acts then that you were doing in between. Well, I started that in 1970. I first of all did comedy drag, uh, and at the same time I had a puppet act, which is very unusual. If you can imagine it, uh, human head, human hands were puppet bodies, and I would mime and tell jokes in between and uh, do these different characters on stage, which which was very good. It was a visual act and it went down really well. And I would end up with the act with a little body being a stripper. And so the last bit would be a striptease act with a puppet with a human head and hands and a little twirl at the end, which always went down well with the audience. 
Did you ever have any times in front of a live audience that were a, that were a struggle? Oh, yes. I remember getting paid off in Newcastle once. That was my first season doing comedy drag, and they said, thank you very much. We don't want you again. So they gave me half fee, and that was it. So you did a story a year for Doctor Who? Yes, that's and then, right. And then no more. So what happened? Why did we, why did we not see you in Doctor Who again? Well, I, I don't really know. A dear old friend called Cy Town, he certainly took over the Dalek business. And gel guards weren't ever used again. Back, and no. I don't think the mutons were. No, no. So well, you could have turned your hand it. to other monsters, I'd have thought. Well, I have to leave that to the agencies. What I didn't do, I never really got to know directors. Maybe that was part of it too. I never, you know, I didn't push myself or anything like that. Maybe it was a mistake. In fact, the biggest mistake was back in 79 when I was asked to do a commercial with Muhammad Ali. And I was picked out for that. And stupidly, I refused because I'd just done a principal part for Woolworths, which I've never ever seen. In fact, I did three principal parts for Woolies. I never saw any of them. And I thought if I wouldn't be the lead and I didn't do it. And I was stupid then because I would have met a great boxer and he also took up children's magic. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. Yes, he did it as a hobby. He did children's magic. And sometimes when he came to England after that, he would do little tricks with children when he visited them in the house, yes. Well, which neatly leads us to, the, to, to Mr Toots, who is your alter ego. So, so tell us how you got into being a, a children's entertainer. Well, I'd done the odd one or two over the years, but not full-time. Uh, I preferred doing the adults and that. But then I switched over back in 77, it was, and uh, I started doing shows in the home and that. At the time, there wasn't so many people doing it, so it was a good market. Now there's dozens do it. And... Uh, I was fortunate. I did go on a QE2 on a cruise to New York. I did another cruise with Jess Conrad to uh, the Greek Islands as a children's entertainer. And during all these times, you meet some well-known people or unusual people. You might end up in a small, tiny room where there's a bed and that, and there's hardly room to move. Or you might end up in a big mansion or somewhere entertaining. And I've met what you would say famous people for it sometimes. Mm. Yeah, fascinating. Mm. Uh, but you did you did a fair bits of telly. I was looking over your. So do you remember your comedy playhouse that you did, where you played yes. a private Fraser, but obviously yes. not that one. <laughs> not yeah, the you're, famous you're clever Fraser. to remember all this. <laughs> but that had got um, that had got um, John Standing and Freddie Earle and Murray Watson and Jack Watson. So, yes, you know, good good character actors all. That's right. Oh, I remember that distinctly. And uh, one reason, possibly, why I got that was I used to be in the Territorial Army. So that was a help. But before we did the film, we had to have three days solid uh, working with a sergeant major to get us up to scratch. Or being drilled. Being drilled, yeah. And then we did a lot of the filming in Carlisle Castle, actually. And it was great to work with these guys. And, yeah, John Standing, he made a lot of films. 
as did Murray Watson. And uh, the third one you mentioned was? Uh, Jack Watson. Jack, dear Jack, he was such a gentleman. I had many a chat with him. And, of course, he has played villains and he's played sergeant majors in his time. And I can remember working on a ferry once. I used to do the ferries between uh, Spain and the U.K., And he was on there once, and I got him and interviewed him. Oh, brilliant. And at the same time, if you can remember, back in 74, 75, Formula One, uh, Lord Hesketh had Hesketh cars with James Hunt, and they always had the cars on board. And Lord Hesketh would come with the cars, not James Hunt, (coughs) and we would run a bingo session. And boy, did I take the mickey out of poor old Lord Hesketh. <laughs> I would love to meet him, because he is in Parliament now as a UKIP member, I think, in the House of Lords. Well, but I used to say, uh, Lord Hesketh's age, 45, but his real age is 75, or something like that, and he was quite young at the time. <laughs> well, which brings us neatly to... Um to, to politics because we were talking about that before we started I can't believe I'm talking to a gel guard who knows Jeremy Corbyn and Ian Duncan Smith oh. so, so tell us all about that side well, of your life Ian Duncan Smith I've only met once to be quite honest but Jeremy used to be my MP in Islington uh, and I like him as a person but I don't agree with some of the things he believes in so have you always been interested in politics or is this something that's come not, not at all. I was not interested. I didn't vote till I was 39. Wow. And uh, it just happened like that when I lived in Islington. Was it anything in particular that prompted it? Not really. I, I can't remember. Oh, I know what it was, yes. Uh, I had a friend come over from South Africa who was a Christian chap and he was... Uh, wanted some places to speak at about his work. One of the places we went to was the Bank of England, and they were so impressed by what he said that they said, you'll have to come to Parliament. And it turned out to be the Conservative Christian Fellowship. And so he spoke at the Conservative Christian Fellowship. But also, I, 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 I was interested in the way they prayed and that. And I started, and I joined up the Conservative Christian Fellowship. That's not being a member of the Conservative Party, but that. And uh, that was organised by certain MPs like Tim Montgomery, who writes in The Times, and David Bowers, a, a local MP. And that's where I got my interest in Parliament. And then I started to go, when I could, and watch debates from the speakers gallery Mm. and then one night I went to a committee room and I sat next to this chap and I knew I recognised him and it was all to do with education and I couldn't remember who it was but it was David and I've just forgotten his name who directed Chariots of Fire. Oh, David Putnam. David Putnam, yes, and he'd become a Lord. He's Lord Putnam. Yeah, well, from that, that was quite handy, because then I've met him several times since, and I started to go then to committee meetings, and I found myself going to the Foreign Affairs Committee, particularly to do with the Middle East. And that's one of the reasons I go now, is to go to the Foreign Affairs Committee. 
And, and it's, so you've got a, an interest in the Middle East that stemmed from that. Why? Why? Yes. There, why there in particular? Well, I, I, when I first went to Israel in '76, I didn't understand much about it. I, to me, it was just another nation. But one or two people said to me, "You'll know, in a sense." you'll feel something when you go there. And I used to smile and didn't take much notice. But I did, did remember at the time, how on earth are they still there after all these wars? How is it that a little place like Israel survived with all the Arabs against them? 67, 48, 67, Von Kippur War, 73. I can never fully understand that. And then over the years, I learnt a lot, and I realised in 1982, when I went there again, that it was a special nation, and that through the Hebrew scripture in the Bible and that, it says that the land does belong to them, and of course, Jesus Christ is a Jew. He was a Jewish rabbi, and... Uh, that is why today you have the problems between some Arabs. That's only a few in comparison. I have good Arab friends in Israel, and I have Jewish friends as well. But it all goes back to Ishmael and Isaac in Genesis. And that's where it starts from. And so your religion's important to you, has that always been the case? Yes, yeah, not so much a religion, it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which didn't come about uh, until 1971, in actual fact. Although I went to church as a young lad till I was about 16, 17, once I left school I just didn't bother. I was quite busy and enjoyed my life without ever thinking about God. But I did begin to think about God when I lived in South Africa for a couple of years. And I just thought about the universe. What would there be if there wasn't stars and there wasn't planets, there wasn't people, there had to be something. And it was after I heard somebody speak in Soweto, a black guy who changed from a, from a rapist, from an attempted murderer, from doing all the bad things, and he'd become a Christian. I didn't understand it at the time, and it wasn't until I lived in Islington, I went to a church, uh, that uh, I then met people whose lives had been changed. And over a period of months and that, I looked into it and realized that I hadn't got Jesus in my life. So I came to a point where I asked him into my life. And so it all started from there, and it is amazing, because I didn't want Jesus in my life to begin with, because I liked traveling, and I thought, if he asked him into my life, I wouldn't travel much. But I did, I've done more traveling as a Christian as a, than I did before. Yeah in a sense yeah see this is what I love about this this podcast is you meet different people and, and people who've had so many different experiences and what, what, what strikes me about you Rick is you're, you're not an idle man your, your mind is constantly engaged you always seem to be doing different things so you, you would you let's say you've taken life by the scruff of the neck well yeah my wife thinks I'm lazy though <laughs> I must tell you that <laughs> But yes, I mean, I didn't expect at the age of 60 to do criminal law. Well, 
if you'd have mentioned that some years previous, I would have thought you'd been nutty. But I, somebody recommended me for an interview. I had an interview, and I became a solicitor's rep, or clerk, as they call it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it for six years. And I did everything from dog bite to murder at the Old Bailey. And I loved it. I really did. And I did that for six years. That's extraordinary. Mm. And you've also met the Queen. I did meet the Queen, yes. Now, that was an extraordinary thing. And I haven't... i tell you how that happened. It was 2003, and there was a... Uh, uh, service at Westminster Abbey, and you could only go there by ballot. So I had my paper with Ricky Newby on and I sent it off to see if I could get a place in the service. Well, I didn't get the place and then a few weeks later, only about two and a half weeks before the actual part thing, I got a letter from, a phone call from Lady Caroline Townsend who asked me if I'd like to entertain there. So I said, okay. She said, well, it's not much money, you know, but said you can do it if you like so I thought well yes I'll go to Buckingham Palace I've never been and uh, I went there as an entertainer suppose circus was there as was other entertainers magicians and, uh, and acrobats and that but before I went I prayed about it and thought well if I meet the Queen I'll give her a red heart balloon there's a reason for that, that uh, it represents the people who haven't met her. It represents the love of the people who hadn't met her. So I went, I did some entertaining, and when she came out with her entourage, I was near, but I could never get anywhere near her. So I gave up the idea, and then a photographer said to me, why don't you give that balloon to the Queen? So I thought, ooh, that's my cue. And against protocol, I went up to her and said, excuse me, Mum, I've been asked to give you this. And all it was was a red balloon, a red heart balloon. And I said, this represents the love of people who you've never met. And I said, Jesus loves you. And I think she said, thank you. So I said, thank you, Mum, and walked off. I did check later to make sure I hadn't got into trouble. And no, they thought it was a nice gesture from the top people so it was okay I didn't get the sack and the photographer that was there to capture it as well so he was, was there it was in the newspapers the next day the mail the sun and the uh, telegraph I think hmm. and what I love about this is none of those knew that you'd been a Dalek at one point <laughs> oh no 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 and the funny thing was about that they were doing competitions in the Daily Mail at the time and for £20 somebody had to win that so somebody won that and it was to do with uh, a footballer with because I had a coloured wig on red, yellow and green I think mm. yeah and they said it was Kevin Kevin Keegan that's it, it? Yeah. yeah that's the one yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant mm. So I wonder when you, because obviously you were well versed in comedy and you worked with some of the greats, and I wonder, obviously comedy changed slightly, and looking at your credits, you did the young ones, so I wondered what you felt of this new era of 
because the young ones are cut from a very different cloth from, say, um, you know, Morecambe and Wise and uh, and some of those people that you were and the goodies. So did you did you sense that this was something new and did you did you like the new wave of comedy? Yes. Well, it wasn't my cup of tea, to be honest. Uh, it's not my cup of tea. I prefer the old-fashioned end of the pier shows, with lots of visual comedy. I mean, I did it, and I had just one spot with uh, Rick Mail. Jolly nice chap he was, and he did die too young. Sadly, sadly, yes. And uh, I just had a one line. That's all. Mm, yeah. So, do you have any more memories of of, uh, of your time with with Doctor Who? Anything else that sticks in mind? Uh, it was. I enjoyed it. You know, at the time, you you just do it. You know. And can you understand why? So many years on, people are still interested in it. It's amazing, really. I don't fully understand that, to be honest. But it's some cult thing. I, I don't fully understand why so many intelligent people uh, uh, like it. But they do. It? it is. I can't answer that. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know why? I'm not sure. I, do. I think our brains are wired in a funny way. Yeah, it must be. It's harmless. You know? Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> and... Um, um, and so, I mean, you're still. Do you, do you have any? Is there anything you? Any ambitions unfulfilled? Anything you'd still like to do? And what are you doing now? Well, no, I wouldn't mind doing a bit more acting, but I, I don't do a lot now. I've got a couple of shows coming up for children, but that's once in a while. I do, as I say, I go to Parliament and that. Uh, I also help prostate cancer. I sometimes give awareness talks on prostate cancer because I've had that for a number of years. No, it's good that I do this with others so that people who... (coughs) Pardon me. If people get checked out early, over the age of 50... You can deal with it without having to have radiotherapy and pills and injections. So it's a good idea to be checked up. Yes, one in 30 get it every year. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? That mm-hmm. many? Yeah. One in 30, goodness. And, oh, t- and tell me, because we didn't get this on tape, tell me the story of um, Bill Murray. It was 1996 when I was asked to do the, this film. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I've just forgotten the name of it. It wasn't one of his well-known ones. And when you do these films, they have a different title, I notice. But anyhow, we filmed on the embankment in November '96, and I was only booked as an extra, and I never did anything. But then they decided they would use me as a tramp. And so I went to the makeup, dressed up as a tramp, and uh, I then changed my voice, my walk, and shuffled. And I, and I, and when the crew saw me, they didn't realise. They thought I was a real tramp. I shuffled along, and they stopped me at first from coming on the set because they didn't know it was me because I'd changed my voice and. Uh, I was walking and shuffling along with a sack of stuff, you know. So I fooled them, which I thought was quite funny. I like fooling people, because I like lots of jokes. And then I did the scene with Bill, and it was all lab lib. (coughs) And uh, 
I remember the first time we did it, we got a big round of applause from the uh, crew and that. And I think we had about six to seven takes, but Bill would ab-lib. He would say something else, and I would have ab-lib bab. It was about him giving me money, and it was the end of the film. But they, when I went to see the film, they changed it, and it was all cut out, and he, and he ended on a desert island. Totally different. On the cutting room floor. Yeah. Many a good actor's been on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Well, you certainly won't be as far as this podcast is concerned. So I'm going to ask you the final two questions, uh, as well as thanking you for your time. The first one is, uh, you don't get paid for this, I don't get paid for this, and the listener doesn't pay to listen to it, but we do ask them to give to a charity of your choice, Ricky. So what's your charity that you would like the listeners to donate to? Okay, I think the one I would choose now is Barnabas Fund. Uh, They're able to get the money, and I know it does get there, to people in Syria, uh, Christian families in Syria and Iraq and places like that, and it does definitely get there. Uh, It's only a small charity, Barnabas, but it's a very good one, so that would be lovely if anybody sent anything to Barnabas Fund. And if past experience is anything to go by, they will, so that's good. And it's nice to have a charity we've not had before. And the final question is, we've talked about so many different things, it's been absolutely fascinating, but we convened nominally to talk about Doctor Who. What is your what is your message to the listening Doctor Who fans out there, Ricky, as Doctor Who celebrates its 52nd year on television? Goodness me, keep going, that's all right, and keep smiling. And look upwards all the time Hmm. well I shall keep smiling when I think of uh, this uh, lovely conversation I've had with you it's been great fun Ricky Newby thank you very much and thank you sir you know and thank you for your meal oh my pleasure (laughs) my surpass that was brilliant was it oh that was 37 minutes Uh, my thanks to Ricky whose charity is the Barnabas Fund which is B-A-R-N-A-B-A-S-F-U-N-D, barnabasfund.org. Donate to that if you can. Uh, There'll be another Who's Round next time. And uh, until then, don't go changing to time. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Jago and Lightfoot, Series 12 box set. Roll up! Roll up! See the world as you have never seen it before! Evening, Professor. Didn't think I'd see you again tonight. Good evening, Mr. Jago. Oh, in a formal mood, are we? Take note of the figures. Mentally mark their positions. And why would we want to do that? Because, Inspector... Next time you look at the painting... Yes? They will have moved. It was what they found down there that was the problem. Uh, I knew you were going to say that. Something scared them. Good and proper. Father! Come quick! She's got the flickers! Henry, there's something inside the wall. I know, Professor. Let's try to get out. 
the camera's intermittent motion is provided by the sprocket rollers, you see. Now, calm down, Mr. Paul. It's a Maltese cross mechanism. It's in your breast pocket. There, you see. <laughs> yes, silly me. Be quiet, both of you. Now, into the pink. If you let me finish, I was about to say that I think the professor is trying. Welcome back, Miss Rigson. Welcome back to the Paths of Blood. Big finish. We love stories.